Welcome to The Waves, Slate's podcast about gender, feminism, and today, the WNBA and the incredible season that just wrapped up. Every episode, you get a new pair of women to talk about the thing that we cannot get off of our minds. And today, you've got me, Daisy Rosario, senior supervising producer of audio here at Slate. And later, I'll be joined by writer Lindsay Gibbs, founder of Power Plays, a newsletter that she calls, and I can confirm is, a no BS newsletter about women's sports. Last week, the Las Vegas Aces beat the New York Liberty to win their second WNBA championship in a row. The Aces beat the Liberty in Brooklyn in front of one of the biggest crowds to ever attend a WNBA game. Each team out of timeouts. Aces by one, 8.8 to go in the fourth quarter of game four. Here we go. Yonescu to inbound, trying to get it to Stewart. Dumps it in, Stewart juggles, catches, six seconds left. Stewart with five, draws the double, Laney to the corner, Vandersloot, no! And that is it! An unforgettable finish to game four! A resilient conclusion! Now, if you are a regular Waves listener, you might remember the episode I did about the Women's World Cup earlier this year. The Waves is not a sports show, but with women's sports doing so well these last few years, I know that, as with women's soccer, you might feel compelled to start following the sport, but also getting into a sport can definitely be intimidating. So let's try and make it a little bit more accessible, okay? Today we're going to talk about more than the Aces and the Liberty. We're going to talk about the WNBA season, the records that were broken, and why you should make an effort to support women's basketball. I'll be right back after a quick break with writer Lindsay Gibbs. Hey, Waves listeners, if you are loving the show and want to hear more, subscribe to our feed. New episodes come out every Thursday morning. And while you're there, check out our other episodes, too, like last week's about the Golden Bachelor. Our recap co-host Laura Stasi talked to Vulture's Catherine Von Arendach about reality dating shows and what the Golden Bachelor gets right and wrong about dating over the age of 60. Welcome back to The Waves, here to talk about the WNBA and women's sports in general. I am so happy to be joined by Lindsay Gibbs. Lindsay, thank you for joining me on The Waves. Thanks so much for having me. So we just ended a pretty fantastic WNBA season. I mean, pictures of the Las Vegas Aces, now back-to-back champions, having their parade in Vegas were all over the internet. The Las Vegas Aces, they know how to celebrate. Asia, I champagne goggles ready but we've got a conversation first you, you put this team on your back tonight your rebounding your defense on John Quell your your all-around effort how did you find the strength within to come up so big in this challenging moment my teammates my teammates we lean on each other so much at this time we fought through so much adversity throughout the season and we just kept the mind thing we kept the main thing the main thing and we came out on top and I, I can't express how proud I am of my teammates they picked me up when I was down we pr- cried together prayed together and now we popping champagne together I really enjoyed watching these finals Lindsay how did you feel about the finals in this year of WNBA 
Oh, it was such a great year for the WNBA, and it was so exciting in the finals to get the top two teams. I love upsets, but it's it's always good, you know. Upsets can further down the line sometimes, you know, you'll end up with a finals that's a little bit lopsided or something yeah, like that. But in this case, you know, the the story of the season had been the Aces and the Liberty, and so to be able to see the two of them battle it out in the finals and figure out who was the best, which it was definitively the Aces. (laughs) No question there. The Aces played much better than the Liberty, but that's what you want to see, right? You want to see the best teams and the best players get the biggest test in the game. And I think we definitely saw that. Yeah. I mean, what can you say? Like, you know, the Liberty, obviously like just a huge improvement (laughs) overall, like in the last couple of years, some of that is just because of investments as well. Um, But you could really see the fans come out. I mean, it really was beautiful to be watching the finals on television and to just see the sheer amount of people in the arena was just lovely. I mean, it really was exciting and it's not something that is completely unheard of like in history but boy did it feel really good to see it in 2023 yeah you know there's been ebbs and flows to the growth of the WNBA as is normal (laughs) and expected (laughs) Mm -hmm. um but certainly you know not only were these the two best teams on the court but they're two of the teams that have received the most investment off of the court and you know the Liberty are one of the original eight WNBA franchises. And they're the only original WNBA franchise that still exists. So there's one that's folded completely, but that still exists that doesn't have a title yet. And so seeing them get to this stage and have 17,000 people fill Barclays for back-to-back games, seeing how far that franchise has come in the past few years, how good that's been for the league as a whole to really get established within that New York market. It's just incredible. And then what Mark Davis, the owner of the Las Vegas Aces, has done with that franchise in such a short period of time, making it one of the most well-resourced teams in the league at this point, it's incredible. And so that's what was so exciting is you, you have two teams that on and off the court are setting the standard. And that's so important because the name of the game is investment. Yeah. So I grew up in New York and I was a Liberty fan like when they first started. I I mean, I was just I was so excited for the W to begin. Like I had grown up playing a lot of basketball, always the only girl playing with a bunch of boys. That was mostly just because my grandparents ran a foster home for boys. So I was just that was who I was playing basketball with. So I've loved uh, the Liberty for a long time, but I actually switched my affiliation. So I live in D.C. now and um, it just so happened that the Mystics the Mystics really won me over. I kind of decided to start, you know, treating a lot of DC teams as kind of my secondary teams. But the Mystics really kind of pushed their way past the Liberty in my heart a couple of years ago. And so I was happy to see the crowd. But it also was mind blowing because as someone who had been following the Liberty, I mean, a lot of, you know, not just the Liberty, other WNBA teams had kind of experienced this poor treatment from their owners. But I mean, the Liberty as a franchise, I mean, People don't necessarily remember if they weren't actively following the W, but I mean, the Liberty were playing in like Westchester in like a random building that wasn't someplace that could actually accommodate like real fans. There were a couple of years they were out in Newark. I mean, like to be a fan of the W was to just kind of accept some suffering and like do what you could to try to support your team. And so to not only see the crowds at this game, but the game being on ESPN 
directly, not ESPN three, not ESPN, yeah. <laughs> but like on ESPN, on ESPN, yeah, in and of itself felt really, really big. Yeah, you know, for those who don't know, James Dolan, who owns the New York Knicks, he used to run own the New York Liberty. So they they were the sister team for the New York Liberty. And he just very much did not care at all about the Liberty. And to the point where he announced publicly that he wanted to sell the team. And instead of trying to make it a valuable proposition, he put the team in, like you said, this this uh, this it's not even an arena the, this no. gym in Westchester <laughs> that my friend who is from that area said she used to play high school games in and it was a bad gymnasium then like it wasn't even up to power for like good high school games and so talk about just torpedoing the value of your franchise and the value of your product I mean we say and this is you know the great Howard Megdal who is a WNBA writer always says that he left them by the side of the road. And literally he did in Westchester. And what happened is Joseph Sai, who owns the Brooklyn Nets, came in and bought them. And he said, no, you're going to play in the same arena that the Nets play in. And so now they're the sister team to the Nets and they've got ownership who really puts them at equal level as far as like what they deserve on a day in and day out basis and you know where they deserve to play and the resources they deserve to get and that's made all the difference and 17,000 is a big number and that was the number for the two games two finals games that were played in Brooklyn back in the early days of the WNBA like you said Madison Square Garden would be full of people rooting for the Liberty until years of years of deinvestment from the ownership just kind of killed that vibe. I feel like one of the things that you always hear is like, well, it's nobody wants to watch women's sports. And so there's just this like assumption that that is true. Obviously, a lot of fans and, you know, other people in general, I guess us included in that have been saying for a long time, like, no, that's not true. Like you've made it very hard to access it. And if you make it not as hard to access, there will probably be more people who want to watch it. So this was the most watched WNBA final in 20 years. This was the most watched postseason in 16 years. And it was the most watched game four in the WNBA finals ever. And then again, both games three and four had the largest gate receipts, like just huge crowds at Barclays and to watch it on television too. I mean, it was it was really fun. You know, like you, if you watch enough sports, you can see even when you're not there, you can tell when the crowd is into it and when they're just there. And that crowd was electric. And it's not just these investments, but it's also the quality of the play. Let's talk a little bit about some of these players because I mean, there's just absolutely incredible basketball being played by some incredibly talented women in the W right now. The finals obviously had a showdown of kind of the league MVP, Brianna Stewart or Stewie with the Liberty. And then Aja Wilson, who would end up becoming the finals MVP, but who a lot of people felt was kind of unfairly not given the MVP this year. And I, I don't say that to knock Stewie or anything, just to point out that this is a conversation that some people. Oh, are it's having. a conversation. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay, tell me a little bit about how uh, how you feel about all of this. It was the closest three-way 
MVP vote in league history between uh, Asia Wilson, Brianna Stewart, and Alyssa Thomas of the Connecticut Sun, who played against the Liberty in the WNBA semifinals. So we did get to see her on the big stage as well. And um, Alyssa Thomas actually got the most first place votes, but because in MVP voting, you give a first through fifth vote. It's like ranked choice voting, basically. It is. That's a great way to put it. Ranked choice voting. You know, Stu we ended up winning mainly because she had the most second place votes, which is a little wonky, but that's just how it worked out. And, you know, there were a lot of people, though, like I said, it was a very tight race who thought that Asia Wilson was the best player for the regular season and deserved it. She's won the MVP two of the last, well, now four, three seasons prior to this. So she won in 2020 and 2022. So she has been voted that before. And I think it is hard to repeat. And I think the bar gets a little higher. Without a doubt, Asia Wilson was the best player in the playoffs. And of course, MVP voting is done for the regular season. It stops actually right towards the end of the regular season is when those votes are due. But absolutely, Asia Wilson, Brianna Stewart, the league MVP, didn't have a great postseason. I mean, it was a good postseason, but it was not an MVP caliber postseason. And I think she would tell you the same thing. And that was a disappointment. You want to see the best versus the best when they're both at their best. But Asia Wilson's not responsible for that. I mean, she might be a little bit responsible for pursuing not playing well in the finals because she's so good at defense. (laughs) And sometimes they were matched against each other. Um, But overall, uh, you know, this was just Asia Wilson's moment. I mean, now she won the finals MVP, which she didn't win last year. So for her to get that finals MVP into her treasure chest of trophies um, was a big deal. (laughs) She's now won back-to-back titles and led her team to -to back-to-back titles, which hasn't been done since the early 2000s in the WNBA. It is incredibly difficult to repeat. But Asia Wilson is the face of the league, absolutely no doubt. Wilson working John Quell Jones. Asia Wilson sticks it in again. Dumping it down, deflected by the Defensive Player of the Year. Asia Wilson forces a turnover. Here's Asia Wilson hooking it up and in off the window she is the standard bearer and in the parade on monday um you know becky hammond the head coach of the las vegas aces who we can discuss she came out and just said like i've played she was a longtime WNBA player one of the greats in the hall of fame for her time as a player played for the liberty played for the liberty and you know she came out and said you know i've played with or against all of the goats in the game, you know, which is greatest of all time. So all of the the players, and she said, Asia, by the end of it, is going to be above all of them. And I thought that was a really strong statement to make. I don't think you can look at this playoff performance from Asia. She's now, the way she led and carried her team, she's just now hitting her prime. And it, sh- it, sh- it should yeah. be terrifying for the rest of the league because the thing about Asia Wilson is she wants it, right? Like she wants the accolades and she wants to be the greatest of all time and she wants to win. And some people think that wanting it can be a sign of like weakness or, or not weakness, but like selfishness, right? Like, oh, you're supposed to be modest. You're supposed to not know if you're the greatest, right? No, Asia Wilson knows that she deserved to be MVP this year. She knows that she deserves to be in the conversations for grace of all time. And she has said when 
push comes to shove, when my career is over, I want to have all the records. I want to be the best. And I love that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like that definitely feels also like a difference between the way that the men's game is talked about versus the women's game. I think like there are obviously certain moments when the men are expected to have a little bit more self-awareness. But I would say like by and large, they're not expected to like walk that walk every day. It's more like, okay, now you've won the big thing. Like show a little gratitude, you know, or even making fun of, uh, you know, LeBron taking his talents. It was kind of like, yes, this was this was a weird way to talk about this. Like yeah, yeah. A, a bitter, a bit more humble about this. But overall, that is not something that is as put on the men overall in the day to day, the way it is on the women. And to see these unbelievably talented women just playing, you know, superhuman basketball is genuinely incredible and really fun to watch. And it's not just that we have these great players on the teams that made the finals. As I mentioned, I'm a Washington Mystics fan. My team was injured, bruised, and beat up this year. And yet watching them was still like just such a joy. I mean, they they make playing the game, they're so passionate, they're so fun. You know, we've got some some players that have gotten some recognition as well this year. In the first round of the playoffs, the Mystics played the Liberty. It was great to see Natasha Cloud from the Mystics get a lot of love for the floor general that she is and what she brings to the team overall. But like, I loved going to games and watching her and Slim. Slim is a player named Brittany Sykes. Um, The two of them just tearing up the floor. If you look around the WNBA right now, a lot of franchises that have been struggling look to be in much better shape right now. You know, the Atlanta Dream, which had really been struggling. They've got a new ownership group in there and they're really activating their fan support. The Dallas Wings are on the rise. Indiana Fever are showing signs of life thanks to Leah Boston. I mean, they're really... the. The parity in the league right now is incredible. And, you know, it was good to see the playoff race between like to get into the playoffs. It was such a tight race and the WNBA season is shorter than the NBA season, which I think makes the the regular season much more impactful, much more meaningful, much more of must watch television because every game really does matter. And it's just after seeing you know, having followed the league for me very closely for about a decade now, you've seen so many of these franchises in such dire straits. And to see all of them have a spark to them right now, to see expansion finally happening. Uh, so we are getting a new team in the Bay Area, which is such good news that their WNBA hasn't seen expansion since 2008, but it will starting in the 2025 season. We will have a team for sure in the Bay Area, and it sounds likely in Portland, though that hasn't been officially announced yet. And so things are just looking up and the business model is just really shored up and the ratings are on the rise. They're not as high as I would like them to be. They're not as high as I think they can be. But, you know, they are growing. And with all the cost cutting in television, it's hard for television ratings to rise this day and age. Fewer and fewer people are turning to linear television to watch things. So I think it's it's just such an invigorating time to be following women's sports as a whole, but especially the WNBA. Absolutely. I mean, 
different sport, but we had the Women's World Cup this past summer. Um, As we are having this conversation and as this episode comes out, the NWSL, the National Women's Soccer League, is having their playoffs right now. I mean, there's there's some great stuff still going on with women's sports. But to see kind of this awareness, not only, you know, in general, but like people really going out to games, people watching the games. I also would love to see the ratings a bit higher. And sometimes the games are a little hard to find, but in a way that I find different from years past when they were just like buried or not really seemingly available. Now it's a little bit more of the like streaming versus TV thing. But frankly, you're having that same issue with all of the big leagues. I mean, I open my tele, I turn my television on and it's like, watch this football game in this app. And then it's on this other channel on another day. Like this seems more like a general sports problem than something that is, you know, specific to the W. Well, it's very worth noting that the finals, two of the final games were on Sundays, NFL Sundays, and were directly against NFL games. And, you know, listen, I grew up an NFL fan, so I get it. Like Sundays, you know what you're watching on Sunday afternoon. It's Sunday at 3 p.m. You are not thinking women's basketball. And I am now, but but, (laughs) but I'm talking about the general (laughs) sports fan. And, you know, the reason they have to do that is because that's when ESPN, you know, ESPN doesn't broadcast Sunday NFL games. So that's when they have the openings that you can get on their channel. So it's a little bit of a plus minus situation you get on the main ESPN, but it's at a time when there's heavier sports competition. And, you know, these are all really difficult decisions that I'm honestly glad I don't have to make because, (laughs) (laughs) because they're not easy um, to figure out when the best time is. So I think it's a big deal that they are growing despite, you know, not getting the most favorable, not getting in prime time, not getting the most favorable slots, you know, in the sports calendar. And it, you know, the TV deal is up in a couple of years and it's going to be very interesting to see what happens next. Let's talk really quickly about Becky Hammond, who we mentioned. She's the coach of the uh, championship Las Vegas Aces, now back-to-back champions. Um, Controversial for... Do you, would you like to explain, Lindsay? Would you like to uh, give the background <laughs> on Becky Hammond? Okay, so... Um, Becky Hammond, like I said, she was a very a legendary WNBA player. And then when her career ended, she started coaching under Greg Popovich as a, she was the first female assistant in the in the NBA, and coached under Greg Popovich for the San Antonio Spurs for many years. Kept being promoted, you know, to the front of the bench to higher assistant roles. And then it got to the point where she had been coaching under him long enough that she kept getting in the conversation for head coaching jobs in the NBA. And people thought, well, it's time. Like she's just, you know, Greg Popovich endorses her and she's had this trailblazing career. And a lot of people, after this many years of being an assistant under somebody like Popovich, they get consideration for NBA head coaching jobs. And she would get interviews. But honestly, there was always these there were always these leaks and these whispers that oh she doesn't interview well she's not ready this isn't sexism right this that she's not getting these jobs (laughs) we just got some inside info right she's not she's she didn't interview and like i would hear this from people like i trust but i don't know where they're getting their information from right but it was just like this whisper campaign against her and finally when mark davis took over um as the owner of the las vegas aces he decided like 
he kind of courted Becky Hammond and he offered her the job and he made her the first million dollar head coach in WNBA history and kind of recruited her away from the NBA. And this was before last season. This was her second full season as head coach. And, you know, she said when she was when the job was announced and she said, you know, I kept being told in these NBA interviews that I couldn't get the job because I didn't have any head coaching experience. And it was just this catch 22 because how was I supposed to get head coaching experience until I got this opportunity? And she said, I really, I was at the point where I wanted my own team and nobody on the NBA side would believe in her enough. So it's obviously been incredibly successful. I mean, she's come on and become she immediately, the Aces had all the pieces, but she immediately was able to transform them into the champions and now back-to-back champions. The first rookie coach to win um, a title and then, you know, since the first year of the league <laughs> when everybody was a rookie coach and, right. <laughs> um, and the, you know, and now to win back-to-back, she's established herself as the best player. But like you said, there are some controversies. Um, you want to touch on the DR Gamby stuff? Is you that, know, yeah, yeah. It's a little tricky. It, it's definitely tricky, but I think it's it is important to talk about because we don't want to yeah. listen, I think too often in women's sports, like we expect our heroes to be absolutely perfect and stain free. And that's not reality. The reality is people are complex and they, there's some bad things and there's some reasons not to like Becky Hammond if you believe the allegations against her by one of her former players, uh Dierica Hamby, who Dierica Hamby was on the 2022. Las Vegas Aces championship team and ended up getting traded to the Los Angeles Sparks in the offseason. And Hamby has complained and said that she was traded because she was pregnant and that Becky Hammond told her that point blank. And she feels like she was mistreated by Becky Hammond because she got pregnant. And of course, that's very, those are very damning allegations. And there was an investigation by the WNBA. Becky Hammond was suspended from coaching the first two games of this season. And, you know, now Hamby has actually filed a lawsuit. So she's taken her complaints above the WNBA and has filed a lawsuit saying that, you know, she was discriminated against gender discrimination due to her pregnancy. And it's uncomfortable to talk about because Becky is such an icon and is so great. And it seems like her players love her so much, but it also, you know, Dierica Hamby's allegations deserve to be part of the story because they are damning. And there's obviously some sort of there, there if Becky got suspended for the first two games of the season, Becky continues to deny that she did anything wrong. And of course players can get traded and that's okay. Like that is part of the business. Yeah, um, it happens. It happens. And not all things and on a happy, you know, kumbaya, we all love each other moment. But um, I do think that it's part of the Becky Hammond story at this point. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I, I get it. Like, I think when we are fans of something like the W that hasn't gotten kind of the love and attention that it deserves and often has just been sidelined and like treated as second class. Like you just want the best things to break through. And, you know, the, the aces are amazing. What Becky Hammond has done with the team is obviously, you know, really incredible, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't acknowledge and hear these stories when this is the truth. I also hosted an episode of, you know, this show, the waves recently where we talked about, 
what it's like when you're in like a toxic work situation and that boss is also a woman and how like your expectations might be different. And sometimes it can actually cut even deeper. And so I do think I agree. I think it's you know important that we make note of of these allegations and follow that story and see where it goes. And the uncomfortable thing about being an adult and looking at reality and, you know, looking at people as whole human beings is it can all be true, right? Becky Hammond can be a great coach. She can be beloved by most of her players. She can get the best, the best out of them. She can be, you know, a champion and all of these things. And she can have done what she did to Derek Hamby. Like that's, that can just, it's uncomfortable and it doesn't fit into a tiny box, but the, they can all be true. All right, we're going to take a quick break here, but when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Lindsay Gibbs and talk about their newsletter and a really great article they wrote for it recently. Welcome back to The Waves. I'm here with Lindsay Gibbs. Lindsay, now you have a newsletter, Power Plays, a Substack that people can subscribe to. Highly recommend that they do. And it's always a great read, but I really appreciated your most recent article, which was about the history of women's sports. And it starts with a great anecdote that just is so frustrating, but also something that I think any women's sports fan has experienced, where you're recounting when Don Lemon is on CNN kind of talking about the fact that the, you know, the women's soccer players wanted, you know, equitable rates with the men's team. If there is more interest in a men's sport, the business people, the people who make money off of sports, will put that on television because we live in a capitalist society. And if people are interested in that, then there would be more attention and more money would be paid. So it's about the money. But here's the thing, and this is the point that that I was making that goes to that which is why is that what people are watching? It's because it's what they're used to watching. Why is it because it's what they're used to watching? Because men were putting men's sports on TV yes. way before women's sports. Yes. So it's the systemic okay. institutionalized thing. No, I'm not saying they are just more interested no, in it. But it's, but why are they more, but you're missing my point. Why are they more interested? Because men's sports has been around longer. People have been paying attention to it more. There have been these amazing female sports stars that have only become household names in recent decades. That's the point. And I'm saying if, it, if they had both started at the exact same point, they both received the same amount of marketing and promotion and all that stuff. And then we got to where we are today. That would be a different. Yeah, again, constant reminder. Our women's national team has won the World Cup multiple times. Our men's team is not good. And um, and so Don Lemon is like, well, nobody wants to watch women's sports. Nobody wants to watch women's sports. And this is a refrain that if you are a women's sports fan, you have you have heard said out loud that you have probably noticed commented on any social media post related to women's sports. It is something that men are not at all shy about coming out of their mouth with, even though they're not correct. And so I loved your article for kind of giving some history on this, Lindsay. But essentially, I mean, reading it, what I came away with, it was the idea that it is not because it's not profitable or interesting that women's sports don't get the attention that they deserve. It has been actual decisions made by individuals to curb it because of men's both literal and hypothetical feelings. Let's talk a little bit about this. So you start way back. Yeah, I think, you know, in the article, we dive into 
some of the history because I think like what Don Lemon was talking about and what his co his co hosts two female co hosts were kind of like uh no you know they're trying to explain all the stuff about investment and time and you know people just think oh if there was interest in women's sports then they would be as popular as men's sports right now because we live in a capitalist society and so that's how that works right if there's interest in something we squeeze the opportunity out of it right we see the money and we squeeze every single penny we can get out of it and that's how capitalism works right if and it is often how it works except in women's sports what we've seen is when women's sports are succeeding and this is historically it's more obvious which is why i go back into the history archives but you know when women's sports are thriving people come in to actively squash it because they see it as a threat to gender roles and to gender dynamics and to the status quo and they don't like to see that and it's men and women who have done this i mean in the 1920s girls basketball was very popular and there were a lot of double headers with girls games and boys games all across the country and then first lady lou hoover kind of sees this and is outraged and forms a national committee and is just like, you know, basically the committee concludes that women competing in athletic clothing in front of a mixed crowd is inherently sexual in nature, non-educational and unhealthy. And she puts a ban on girls basketball. So any momentum that was going in the 1920s, right, completely stopped. What if that momentum hadn't been stopped, right? What if back in the 1920s, that momentum had been encouraged and prospered? Where would women's basketball be today? You know, we'll never know. And you see it a lot in soccer as well. You know, in the 1920s, the Dick Kerr ladies were very popular team in England of like women's football to the point where December 27th, 53,000 people in Liverpool came to watch a game on Boxing Day. And less than a year after that, the Football Association of England put a complete ban on women playing football on football association grounds because they said football should be exclusively confined to athletics of the stronger sex and that the game of football is quite unsuitable for females and ought not to be encouraged. You saw a similar ban happen in Brazil a couple of decades later, except at the time that ban made it illegal for women anywhere to play the sport of football. And what I say is like these bans are so important because it's not they don't come because nobody cares, right? If nobody cared, they wouldn't have to have the ban. They come because people are threatened by how many people cared about women's sports. Now, obviously, today we've come a long way and the sabotage is much less direct and, you know, much more subtle. But I think you see it in many ways as far as putting it on the wrong channels, kind of squelching its popularity, not covering the sport for media members, not covering the sport like a true sport, not giving it any attention, assuming that nobody cares because it's more comfortable if you assume nobody cares because you don't have to deal with it threatening the status quo. And if you look back at just like, and I, I focus specifically on college when I was looking at ratings because there's so much more history there and college women's basketball. But this year's women's final four had such great ratings and everyone was saying it got up to like 11 million viewers. And that was this huge breakthrough. And it was, but I mean, we're talking like 30 years ago, women were getting almost 8 million viewers and this was on CBS and then CBS got out of the women's basketball game altogether. And it took another almost 30 years for them to be back on network television. And guess what? When they got back on network television, the ratings were 
11 million. And so it's just like anywhere in men's sports, if you see like these ratings get so high, you see them get nurtured. But in women's sports, it's just often you see the opposite. And I don't think these men are and some women in power are sitting around saying this threatens my masculinity. So I'm going to, you know, damage that. It's not as obvious as it was in the 20s and the 40s by any means. But I think ultimately it's you can't deny how much we associate sports and in our country, it's men's basketball and men's football, really, with masculinity in this country and how uncomfortable it is to see that be upended. Absolutely. I mean, having grown up just like a sports fan in general, and I would watch all kinds of sports. But yeah, I mean, even now, I you know, if you think about it, like, yes, NBA, NFL are kind of the dominant leagues overall, like in terms of what people are talking about, who the players are like, you don't have to follow either of those sports to probably at least know a few names. Whereas like you probably can't necessarily name a pro hockey player, even just like in passing, like, you know, there's just, I just mean like the people that are in the headlines and whose names you can't help, but see it's going to be NFL players and it's going to be NBA players, but it, those things are not just because there's like a lack of interest overall. The history of this always really drives me crazy because it reminds me too that like, and I know this, I know that history is not a straight line. Progress is not a straight line. Like it, it's constantly shifting forward and back. And I think it's just frustrating because it feels like all of the places that one has to kind of defend their right to exist is often just having the same argument over and over again. And so while we feel that way about our politics, it's both frustrating and fascinating to be reminded that like, no, like this was true too about like women's basketball, like thousands of people were watching, people were playing like, and, um, you know, like I'm a huge movie fan as well. Like that's, you know, what I went to school for. And it reminds me just so much of, you know, the, the Hayes code and like people act like, oh, like queer people and different types of people, they didn't exist in society because you don't see them in certain kinds of movies from like a certain era. And it's like, no, they were, they were banned. Like you were literally not allowed to depict these things, that doesn't mean they didn't exist. And the same is just completely true with our actual sports and the way that they function. Yeah. And I think it's so important why, like, for sports to be brought into this conversation, into, like, the conversation of feminism and intersectional feminism in particular, because you can't look at sports, especially basketball, without talking about homophobia and racism as well, which both deserve deep dives of their own as ways that they marginalize women's sports and the fear of sports turning women into lesbians and how that has kept sports on the margins. And then racism, how that's kept especially basketball on the margins because it's predominantly powerful black women. And I think we have to, you know, I mean, it's this is cheesy, but like the reason my newsletter is named Power Plays is because it's not really about sports. It's about power. Think about how what a powerful current sports are in our society, right? And look at how much money and influence is behind them. And think about what happens when you completely cut that off from an entire gender, right? It's that it's a big deal. And, you know, I always 
I know that this isn't necessarily all sports fans listening to this, but I encourage you to try out women's sports if you haven't felt welcome into a more traditional sports culture in the past, because it, you know, it is some typical sports fans for sure. There is a big overlap, but it's also a little bit different of a crowd. It's a, there's more queer people there, more women in the crowds, and it's a form of resistance cheering for women's sports. It legitimately is. And, you know, look into supporting these these women and finding out if there are games in your area, watching them when they're on TV, you know, reach out, ask for help getting into it, ask for help finding a team. And it's such a powerful way to practice resistance and practice kind of upending the societal norms. And think about the reasons why you haven't felt welcome within sports space and think about the sexism behind that, right? And the input you might have taken in subconsciously, right? That has turned you against sports. You know, it's always worth questioning why we like what we like and whether or not like we are subconsciously buying into these standards, right? That were set out for us. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, that is one of the things that I just love so much about going to WNBA games and uh, Mystics games in particular. But yeah, I remember going to the 2018 finals and the Seattle Storm beat the Mystics. They beat the Mystics, you know, out here in D.C. at, at George Mason because... If, if you, were you at the George on. Mason? I was there, yes. Oh, yes, yes. Um, and I just remember, like, I was obviously sad that my team had not won, but, you know, the Seattle Storm were an incredible team with incredible players. This was, you know, Sue Bird was still active then. I've had a crush on her for like 20 years. Uh, Stewie there before uh, moving over to the Liberty. And even though we were bummed, like it was just still amazing to get to watch them succeed on that level and to be around people that were like really happy. And so we were just, I think, still really like cheering for the level of success that we were seeing for how good they were. And that felt really affirming. And now to go to lots of regular season mystics games, I mean, just the range of fans that you see when you see the little girls in the Ugh. stands, and especially oh even goodness. the little boys. Oh my God. Even the when little I see boys, people, I, it's, oh, so sweet. it's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. They're so into it and they do a lot of like halftime stuff that involves kids and things like that. So I just think it's very, very fun. I think as a baseball fan, the same way a lot of baseball fans will like talk about how much they prefer going to like a minor league game yeah. than a major league game. Like if you are looking to take your family, go to a WNBA game, like check it out. And I always tell people, I, you know, I remember a few years ago being, uh, speaking in front of a group of women lawyers. And I said, take your clients to WNBA games, right? Try something different, right? Try something different. I remember all of them were just like, we never even thought of that, right? Never even occurred to us. But like, why don't we do that, right? Like, why is it standard to go to these men's games as like, you know, a treat or something, but not to take them right. as a women's yeah. game, yeah. you know? Like, and I know, it, obviously, that's not uh, possible in everyone's area. But, you know, I think that it's that type of mindset changing on an individual level that can change the world. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us on The Waves today. Please go check out and sign up for the Power Plays Substack. You can absolutely sign up for it online. Lindsay, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. 
You can sign up for Lindsay's newsletter, Power Plays, at powerplay.news. And that's where you'll also be able to read the great article that we discussed in the second half of this episode. That article is called, It's Not Capitalism Holding Women's Sports Back, It's Men's Fragility. That's our show this week. The Waves is produced by Shana Roth and Vic Whitley-Berry. Alicia Montgomery is Vice President of Audio here at Slate. I'm Senior Supervising Producer. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thewaves@slate.com. The Waves will be back next week. Different hosts, different topic, same time and place. And don't forget to check out our Golden Bachelor recaps, hosted by Waves producer Shana Roth and Laura Stassi, who created and hosts her own independent podcast, Dating While Gray. You can find those here in the Waves feed on Fridays. Thanks for listening. Thank you for being a Slate Plus member. And because you are a member, you get this extra bonus weekly segment. Today, we're going to use it to talk about a couple of things we couldn't fit into our main conversation. Let's start with some players that you should know in the W, in the league, in general. Obviously, we've already talked a lot about the Aces and the Liberty. I got to talk a little bit about my Mystics. And I do want to make sure that we talk a bit about college basketball as well, because I got to admit that is where I have just a complete lack of info. But let's let's dive in. I mean, there are just some incredible players in the league right now. You know, you mentioned some other teams that are on the Ascension. I've seen Aaliyah Boston play. Inbound Wheeler. Indiana needs a three. Wheeler tiptoeing the baseline out to Boston. Boston will hoist. And send us into overtime. Good God, that is a talent. That is just coming on so good rookie of the year so good she's frightening good absolutely anybody else you want to shout out this season for people that are maybe you know getting a an interest in the w people they should look out for as we go to the next season and also in this uh off season of free agency that we're about to enter. Yeah, I would say, um, you know, just to round out the Aces talk a little bit, you know, it's not just Asia Wilson on that team. They've got the point guard, Chelsea Gray, running their show, who is one of the best point guards in WNBA history. And you should just see her passes. I mean, she is dynamic. They've got Jackie Young and Kelsey Plum, who are two former number one overall picks who are just both lethal shooters and playmakers and you know they've got a lot of big personalities on that team and it's really fun you know Nafisa Collier is another is going to be MVP any day now here um so she plays for the Minnesota Lynx and is kind of bringing that franchise that was just some of our Slate Plus segment if you want to hear the whole thing go to slate.com slash the waves plus to become a Slate Plus member today slate.com slash the waves plus